Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that's the question we're going to answer today. The world answers this question, who is Jesus, in many numerous different ways. Perhaps it's the Jesus is my homeboy. Perhaps it's Jesus the political leader who will bring a revolution. Uh, perhaps it's Jesus our example of love. Jesus the counselor, the psychiatrist, the therapist. Jesus the cheerleader. Jesus the friend. And, and all these uh, answers to who is Jesus, whether that's the world, the historical Jesus, uh, and we're trying to figure out who is this Jesus, and we're going to go right to God's word on who Jesus is. And that's where today's passage answers this question of who Jesus is. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1. We're going to go through verse 15 to 20, chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. I'm going to actually read from verse 13 to give give us a little bit of context. So Colossians 1, and let me give you some background before we read this passage. Uh, In this letter, Paul is writing to the church at Colossus. And we see this in verse 2. You know, Paul is writing this letter to this young church, these young Christians in uh, here at Coloss. And this particular church started to uh, drift away from the gospel. They started to depart from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And they were starting to go to these uh, unique teachings, these teachings about angels and human philosophies and asceticism of, you know, don't touch this, don't get married, don't do this. Um, and, and that was the problem. That was the false teaching that occurred at this young church. And so Paul, to address this, these issues, these false teachings, uh, Paul is writing this letter to say, church, uh, church at Colossus, you know, Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent. He is over all things. And so he wants to really encourage this church and then also uh, exhort them to the truth, uh, the truth of the gospel. And so we see uh, in the context of the, our passage today, verse 15, you know, Paul is... Uh, uh, telling the church and he's praying for the church that, you know, they would be filled with knowledge. We see this in uh, verse 3 to 14 uh, that Paul is encouraging them to, uh, you know, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Uh, he's praying for fruit in this congregation. He's thanking God for rescuing and redeeming these people. Uh, and then Paul in verse 13 and 14, uh, he talks about how God is delivering uh, these people, the, the church, these Christians, uh, from the domain of darkness and transferring them to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's when Paul just explodes in praise. He's, he's talking about Jesus and then he just goes into this praise in 15 to 20 about Jesus and his preeminence. Uh, and that's where we find our passage today. And so with that, let me read us the passage, um, starting from verse 13. And then we'll go to verse 20. So follow along with me. This is the word of the Lord. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So as we enter the main point of this uh, passage of Scripture, we find two main points in this passage. The first main point is the preeminence of Christ over creation. Let me repeat that one more time. The preeminence of Christ over creation. And we see that in verse 15 to 17. And then our second main point is the preeminence of Christ over new creation. And we'll see that in verse 18 to 20. So first the preeminence of Christ over creation. And we're going to see a subpoint here as creator. So the subpoint as creator. It's Christ as our creator. So if you look with me in verse 15, Paul describes Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Paul, he's clearly and plainly stating invisible God now visible is Jesus. It's God in the flesh. This is Jesus, God, the Son, incarnate. And Paul's highlighting uh, a fancy term, incarnation, God becoming man. And particularly, Paul is highlighting the deity of Christ, meaning that Jesus is God. And how do we know this? Is He's the image of the invisible God. <clears throat> and there are many passages in the Bible that highlight uh, that God, uh, Jesus is truly God and truly man. Uh, and in this passage, we see highlighting more that Jesus is God. There are other passages, for example, Philippians 2 and Hebrews 2, that highlight Christ's humanity. And feel free, you could read that passage on your own. Uh, but in this passage, Paul is really highlighting Jesus is God. Truly God, truly man. Not only this, we, we find this uh, more explicitly clear in John 14, uh, and in this scene, you don't have to turn there, but in John 4, uh, 14, 9, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're chatting it up, they're talking to each other, and Jesus, he, he tells his disciples that if, you know, how, how, how do we see the Father? Well, you see the Son, Jesus. And Jesus himself says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Basically, Jesus is saying he is God. And he tells us his disciples this so clearly in John 14. Uh, and, and also in John 1, uh, John the author is clarifying too that Jesus is the Word became flesh. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. So Jesus is God, fully divine. Fully divine. So, furthermore, uh, if you read in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, comma, the firstborn of all creation. And this firstborn of all creation basically means that Jesus is the heir or the king over all creation. The heir and king over creation. Why? Because he's the creator. And uh, we also see in Hebrews 1 verse 2 the same language of heir, uh, of kind of the king over all creation. And I must admit, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky read, right? Firstborn. You know, some of us, and myself included, when I was, you know, preparing for this sermon, is thinking, 
Uh, Paul, doesn't firstborn mean the one born first? Uh, well, you know, it could be that, but that idea that Jesus was, you know, a created being or the first created being, you know, that's not a novel idea. And there's this guy back in the day in the third, fourth century named Arius. So you could write this down in your notes. Arius, A-R-I-U-S. He was a false teacher. And his famous line of his false teaching was, there was a time the sun was not. So when you see, when he read firstborn of all creation, he read it as, oh, he was born first. He was the first created being. That is not how you should read this text. In today's context, that's kind of a common manifestation of this false teaching. Jehovah's Witness. That's a very common, you know, he's, Jesus was the first created being, even though he was the highest created being. That is an error, wrong. Jesus was not a created being. And how do we know this? And I'm going to give you two rules to help us in our Bible reading. So if you get a knock on the door and you see, you know, those two guys dressed in all white shirts and they come up and they're the Jehovah's Witness and they bring up this passage in Colossians, have no fear. You got two rules that I'm going to help you with in, in our Bible reading. First one, is context is king. So write that down. Context is king. So anytime you have this gut feeling of, ooh, like, that don't feel right, or I don't know if that's what it means, that's a good feeling. Trust your instinct, and let's keep reading. So just keep reading. Context is king. So if you look with me, in the immediate context, in verse 15, we see the firstborn of all creation, and then verse 16, there's a special word there, for. Well, as good Bible readers, we want to know why the four is there for. And as we keep reading, we see the firstborn of all creation for, and it's the explanation of the phrase before it, right? So for, by him, namely Jesus, all things were created. So why is he the heir or the king over all creation? Well, it's by Jesus who created all things. Uh, and maybe you're still not convinced there, uh, but if you keep reading uh, and see the context, we see in verse 17, and he is before all things, meaning uh, before in terms of time, uh, in, in terms of time language, he's before all created things. So how is Jesus a created being if he was before the created beings? So clearly we can't understand this firstborn of all creation, meaning that Jesus was a first created being. Actually, the verse 16 says that Jesus is the creator. So that's rule number one, right? Context is king, so just keep reading. Uh, and then secondly, a good rule of thumb is in order to understand the scriptures, we want to use what is clear in scripture to help us what seems to be unclear. So use what is clear in scripture to help us understand what seems to be unclear. So if we're a little tripped up by, oh, firstborn of all creation, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but let's use what is clear from the rest of the Bible to help us understand what seems to be unclear. This is just good Bible reading. And I hope as we, you know, enter the new year and you guys are, you know, maybe starting a new Bible reading plan, there's going to be bound to be a passage where you're going to be like, what does this mean? I don't quite get it. And I hope these two rules help us in that. Uh, so when we go back to the passage, we see, well, 
what seems to be clear in the rest of the scriptures is that Jesus is God. So how is God a created being? Clearly he's not. So the rest of scripture vouches also saying that this cannot mean that Jesus is a created being. Thus, we see the preeminence, the, the, the uh, supremacy, the glory of Christ over creation as creator in this passage. Why? Because all things were created by Jesus. He's the means of which all things was created. And then also, if you read uh, further in verse 16, towards the end, it says, all things were created through him and for him. So even the goal of creation, the purpose of creation, is to go to the praise of Christ the Creator. The goal and purpose of creation is to worship Jesus. So, non-Christian friend, we're we're glad that you you are here. And did you know that you are given purpose by the Creator? Life is not mere chemical reactions or a a life full of your own selfishness, but it's God has designed everything to go to the praise of Him. And if you think about this worldview of kind of, you know, everything is natural and, and all chemical reactions. Uh, how sad is that? That life is just a, a bunch of mixture of chemical reactions. You eat food and then you sleep and then that's it. Um, that, that is so sad. And, and contrary to that worldview, the Christian worldview is that all things is to go to the praise of the Creator. <clears throat> so non-Christian, this also means that you are accountable to the Creator. Why? Because uh, the Creator created the creation. Uh, so you, you are not ice, you are not isolated. You cannot be living a, a however you want, but you are dependent on God, on the Creator, whether you like it or not. And this is all the more reason why you ought to give your life to Jesus, the one who created you. Uh, and for the uh, for the Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, all things are to go to the praise of Christ. Uh, so what does this mean practically, right? It's a very lofty idea. I, I hope, uh, as we consider 2018, uh, the new year, I hope we uh, establish a wonderful opportunity and exercise to really reevaluate our goals and desires for 2018. So what does this mean? Uh, after this service, uh, between um, you know morning service and evening service at 5.30, I hope you guys take a couple hours to just reevaluate, okay, what do I want to accomplish in 2018? And ask a question, huh, is this to the praise of Christ or is this to the praise of me and my goals and my desires? So are you thinking as you're thinking about maybe a new job or you're moving or you're about to you know, have a new family, what are your goals? Are they filtered by to the praise of God and Christ, or is it to actually fulfill your own desires and goals? So I hope in this uh, afternoon, you know, come back home and, and, you know, take a couple hours to really evaluate, okay, what am I doing with my goals and desires? Are they being filtered by praising Christ? I hope that's on our minds and our hearts, goals and desires. Uh, Secondly, uh, the created stuff of the world. You know, they're supposed to go to the praise of Christ. So let's think about phones and technology. Are they being used for your own comfort this year? Or how can we think about 
using technology and phones to the praise of Christ. And I, I hope this is just a, a heart check in how we are to think about you know, our phones, our technology, the things that God has given us so graciously, um, but to use it to the praise of Him. So I hope as you, you know, interact uh, at lunch or in the afternoon, you guys are thinking about, okay, how do we use our phones for the glory of God? Uh, and this could also mean uh, money. <clears throat> you know, 2018, perhaps you're getting new jobs or pay raises, uh, and may- maybe you're starting your new budget as 2018 comes, and you're looking at, okay, what are my expenses? You know, I have to pay for the house or uh, rent or phone bills or car insurances. Well, is there a budget line and how you're thinking about your budget to the enjoyment of Christ? Are you thinking about ways to use your money that gives honor and glory and praise to Christ? Why? Because Jesus is preeminent over all creation, especially as creator. So not only do we see Jesus as preeminent over creation as creator, but we also see his preeminence as sustainer. So would you look with me at verse 17? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word, of who he is. Jesus sustains everything. So even the oxygen in your hemoglobin of your red blood cells to keep you awake or maybe asleep right now, that God is sustaining you right now. He sustains the universe and the earth as it orbits in the right elliptical pattern in the right axes so that we don't burn or we don't freeze to death. That is God and Christ's preeminence in upholding everything, sustaining everything. Even the protons and electrons and neutrons and every chemical being that it doesn't explode, but Christ sustains all things. And I hope in terms of application, that actually helps us to think about how we can rest in this sustainer. We can rest in Christ Jesus who sustains the entire world because he is supreme, he is strong. Where we are weak, and we want to be supreme like God. We toil. We want to, you know, accomplish these things all by our own strength. But we're so weak that we need to sleep. But Jesus, He is tireless. He's supreme. He upholds everything. And that is this type of God who we have and worship and that we could rest in Jesus who sustains us. And not only that is Jesus is preeminent over uh, creation. <clears throat> as you know as a creator as sustainer but we also see this is our third sub point that Christ is our governor over all creation so what domains or what jurisdiction does this creator have and if you look with me verse 16 for by him all things were created uh, where it's in heaven and on earth over what invisible and visible things That means everything, right? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus, who created all those things, everything, has jurisdiction and authority over all things. And 
And in this particular church context in Colossians, you know, they were uh, afraid of these, uh, the authorities, governments, and uh, these spiritual beings, and they were afraid. And what they did was they turned to angels. They turned to angels for protection. But Paul is saying, no, turn to the one who created those authorities. Turn to Jesus, the preeminent one, the glorious one who has authority over all that. Jesus created the authorities and, and governments and the spiritual realm that these guys were afraid of. G, uh, Paul is encouraging them, no, 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 trust in this creator who has authority over all things. And this has practical application uh, for the public spheres, right? Whether that, that means you're in uh, government policy making or even in your own companies um, that have authority. God has placed authority created authority to reflect and represent Christ's authority. Uh, so this is very instructive for all of us, right? So <clears throat> perhaps you're in, in, a, in a group that's uh, making policies. Did you know that God desires for you to create policies that actually reflect the king, that reflect how do, how do we have authority sustain the, the, the people and things underneath the authority? So the goodness of God should be representative in our policies. And this also means for authority structures, uh, perhaps you're a worker uh, and you you're a boss and you, have, you manage people underneath you. You ought to wield your authority well. You are to wield and use your authority not for the purposes of abuse or using people for your own goals, but to support them, to help them, uh, to show a little glimpse of God's good authority in your workplace. Uh, perhaps you, uh, for the children, <clears throat> as you submit to authority, to your parents, mom and dad, uh, as older siblings, you guys have responsibility uh, to help your younger siblings not to disobey authority, but to help obey your parents. Uh, this is a good thing. And I think this also means for all of us that as we submit to authority structures, whether that's your boss, uh, we ought to help one another do that well. As Christians in the workplace, as Christians in the family, we ought to use authority well and to submit to authority. Why? Because Jesus created the authority and he is governing over authority as well. So I hope main point number one, you've seen preeminence of Christ over creation See him as creator, sustainer, governor. And we see how Jesus is preeminent over creation. And then Paul, he starts transitioning to the preeminence of Christ over the new creation, over the redeemed people. And we see this transition in verse 18, when Paul says, <clears throat> and he is the head of the body, the church. So this is a, a big transition uh, that Paul is now talking about the new creation, the church, uh, the redeemed people of God. And he goes on further to say, Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So again, firstborn from the dead. In verse 15, you see the firstborn of all creation. Now, what does this firstborn from the dead mean? Well, it means, again, he's the head, the ruler, the king, the heir of the new creation. Uh, and actually, in uh, Revelation 1.5, the, 
Jesus is actually described with this same phrase, the firstborn from the dead. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that as Jesus resurrected, as he is the first fruits of the resurrection, he, Jesus triumphed over death. And that triumph over death applies also to the new creation, the redeemed people. So Christians, brothers and sisters of Christ, that is an actual reality right now that death is triumphed into your life as you repent and believe because God has regenerated you in, in, by the Spirit. And that is actually in partial fulfillment of what is to come in the future where we experience the real resurrection down the road when we die and be resurrected again at Jesus' second coming. And so Paul, he really wants to reiterate that Jesus is preeminent over the new creation. The new creation. His supremacy is found in the new creation as Jesus is supreme and has authority over the new creation. And so we really, what we see is, uh, this is sub-point under main point number two, that Jesus is the ruler of the new creation. We see his preeminence as ruler. <clears throat> and this idea of uh, the head of the body, that head, uh, it's a description of the, the source and the authority that Christ has over the church. And I think in terms of application, you know, let's first look at how Jesus rules uh, the authority uh, over the church. And I think this means for us as a church, uh, we are to worship Christ, the King, worship Christ, the ruler. And we see this as uh, in our church services, uh, we see that we use God's word to shape our songs. We sing God's word. We pray God's word. And we really want to submit to God's authority in his word. So therefore, you'll see in our service that we have lots of Bible passages that we are reading. Uh, and we take our uh, commands from God's word. Uh, and church, <clears throat> as we as a church, we trust in Christ our head because that's where we find nourishment and growth in Christ. Uh, so true growth is not found in the latest books. It's not in the right worship environment. It's not in what's the next preacher, the teacher, but it's in Christ. So let us church, let us trust in Christ our head. And then also, in terms of authority structures, as Christ rules and reigns as our authority as a church, God also uh, exercises this authority and commands authority in the church in various ways. Uh, first, to the elders of our church, God has uh, commanded the elders, and in this season, you know, Jeremy Young and David Ng, and hopefully we could pray for more uh, elders, godly men, you have a derived authority to use God's word to lead us. Why? Because this is not your church. This is not the elder's church. This is not the leader's church. No, this is Christ's church. So they have a derived authority. That means you, Jeremy and David, to use your authority and wield your authority in ways that honor the king and ruler, namely Jesus. Church members, as a congregation, uh, we too, as a congregation, have a unique authority, a congregational authority to use God's authoritative word to help one another trust in Christ, to submit to Christ. Uh, one of the practical ways to do this is our church covenant where we covenanted together to love one another and all those one another passages to evangelize. We do this as a church 
we take our authority not to attack one another, but to support one another because Christ is our head. Our ultimate submission is to King Jesus, the one who rules over the new creation, namely the church. So I hope, church, there is uh, ample encouragement that as we seek to submit to King Jesus, uh, we have God's word to do that to help us, to guide us, and to lead us uh, to submit to him in all that we do. And then secondly, uh, we see the preeminence of Christ over new creation as Savior. <clears throat> so would you look with me at verse 19? And, and Paul, he, he brings up this idea of the incarnation once again. And Paul, he, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So here in verse 19, Paul is addressing the incarnation, God becoming man, truly God, truly man, in reference to salvation. So again, verse 15, uh, in the first main point, the incarnation is, uh, the point is as Jesus' creator. But here we see Christ's preeminence as Savior. That only God could forgive sins. Only God can reconcile and make amends to the problem of sin. So God, in his fullness, in verse 19, was pleased to dwell. It's God's good pleasure to send his son Jesus to reconcile the fullness of God. So the sovereign of all sovereigns, the holy of all holies, the God who is mighty to save, slow to anger, love that never ends, mercy new every morning, justice that prevails. That God is pleased to dwell to save and reconcile. And you see this, his reconciliation to himself all things. Now, what is Christ reconciling? He's reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. How does he accomplish this? He makes peace by the blood of his cross. It's the work of Christ on the cross that is sufficient to make this happen. Now, once again, uh, there's another potential stumbling block, right? You're like, all right, Paul, we see this reconciliation, all things. Well, does that mean everybody has right relationship with God, with AKA what we call universalism, that everybody is right with God without, uh, without exception? The answer is no. And again, we give the two rules. So the first rule, once again, when we want good Bible readers, context is king. So we're getting to heretical territory. Just keep reading and see what's going on. Verse 21, we see, and ye and, so again, and is a conjunction word. It helps in addition to what was said before. So Paul, he says in verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil things, he has now reconciled, past tense, in his body of flesh by his death. So even in this context of the immediate context of verse 21, it helps us understand that Paul, he doesn't mean this... Uh, universalism, or everybody's right with God without exception, but he's saying, no, 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 the actual reconciliation of 
you know, man with God, that only happens for those who repent, believe, and trust in Jesus, and that they were once alienated, once hostile in mind, but now has been reconciled in Christ. So clearly, Paul, in the immediate context, does not mean reconcile to himself all things, meaning everybody has right relationship with God. And again, the second rule of uh, good reading is we want what's clear in the Bible to help us understand what seems to be unclear. So if we survey the rest of Scripture, we see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and and you believe, you'll be saved. Clearly, the rest of Scripture teaches that to have right relationship with God you need to repent and believe and trust in Jesus. So clearly, this passage in verse 20 does not mean uh, universalism, but what Paul is saying here is universal pacification. So what do I mean by that? I'm going to give an illustration. Uh, imagine a room, and let's imagine actually a kitchen. This is a little bit of my own life story. Uh, and the child creates this mess in the kitchen, throws eggs to the walls. You got food hanging from the ceiling. And who who caused the problem? The child. Now, the parent, seeing this chaos, seeing this disorder in this kitchen, cleans up this dirty kitchen. Now, in that illustration, we see that the parent cleans the room or cleans the kitchen. Who is responsible? The child. So the child still is uh, accountable for the mess, even though the room is clean and the parent cleaned the room. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, God is uh, restoring and reconciling all things. He's putting back into order because of the fall and sin that destroys everything. God is in the business of reconciling all of that. And if you keep reading to Revelation, the new heavens, new earth, we see that Jesus reconciles all things to be put, everything put right back into place, how God designed it. And that's what Paul is talking about. This universal pacification where all things are put back into order. Now, this has grave application for the non-Christian. A non-Christian friend, uh, once again, we're glad that you're here uh, to join us in our worship service. Uh, but this is a call to you that there is a time that Jesus is going to complete this reconciliation and he's going to judge all things. Jesus will come back and judge all things to be right or wrong. But there is good news. There's good news that because of sin, where we sinned against God, God has, out of his kindness and love, sent his son Jesus to reconcile all things to reconcile man in right relationship with him all through Jesus his perfect life and his death on the cross and in his power of his resurrection anybody that repents and believes can experience this reconciliation with God today right now so I plead with you non-Christian friend that you would repent and believe trust in Jesus for this reconciliation to get right with God to turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. Christian, for you, this gospel is powerful. 
This gospel shows that Jesus is the sufficient Savior. And I hope that you see that this finished work that Jesus does of reconciling all things, that applies to you. You are the recipient of this great work, of this grace that Christ has done. So be assured of your salvation, knowing that this is the objective work of Christ on the cross. It's His per, uh, the finished work of Christ that secures us, that secures salvation as Christ is preeminent as Savior. And if you look with me, Jesus secured this. He makes this peace by the blood of His cross. Jesus himself takes upon this responsibility to secure us as Christians. So I hope you have great encouragement and security in Christ. So as we worship Christ, who is our Savior, who is preeminent over the new creation, I hope you see that Jesus secures this by his blood. And in conclusion, we have seen the preeminence of Christ over creation as creator, sustainer, and governor and also the preeminence of Christ over the new creation as ruler and savior. And this is who Jesus is. So if anybody, uh, especially as the new year comes and you're talking with your uh, coworkers and your friends and family members, this is who Jesus is. He's glorious, supreme over all creation and new creation. So let us together worship Christ who is preeminent over all things that let's pray dear heavenly father we praise you that you are supreme we praise you that you are preeminent over all things and over the church and we confess that we want to rule and reign and govern our own lives and we sin against you God who truly reigns as king by worshiping ourselves, our own comfort, our own desires, our own goals, rather than to worship you and have all created things go to the praise of you. But we thank you that you reconcile us by the blood of Jesus and the power of his resurrection that we can be right with you. And we pray that you would help us to marvel at these truths to meditate on these truths of who your son Jesus is, that we would walk in a manner worthy of Christ. We pray all these things in your son's name.